What's going on, everybody? This is your boy, Nathan Crankfield. This episode was really fun to record. I just kind of sat down today, hadn't done a cell phone in a while, and I've had so many. It's kind of hard for me sometimes when I write down like seven topics I want to talk about. I'm like, which one do I want to do today? And so you know what I did today? I literally just sat down at the microphone and ranted and just talked to you. And not even ranted in like being an annoying and like complaining, but it was really good. I think, I think it was really fruitful. Uh, coming fresh out of adoration and I just wanted to share kind of what was on my mind and my heart in this context of being enough and, and returning to the basics and getting to know yourself and really kind of realizing your potential. And so this is kind of a motivational message on returning to the basics, getting back to what makes us great. I kind of walked through a, an introduction of the philosophy of seeking excellence and talked to a lot of the fun stuff that we have coming up and uh, just really challenge you to, to start to really take ownership over this because we're getting serious here at Seeking Excellence. We got a lot of fun stuff coming up and I want you to be a part of it. I want to help transform your life. I want to be your personal coach, challenge, older brother, um, challenger. Um, and, and I'm trying to create a team of people who are just going to create amazing content that's going to help you to strive for excellence in all seven pillars and just really live the life that you were made to live. And so I hope that you take this seriously. Hope that you enjoy it um, and, and just take a lot from it. It was fun to record it for you. God bless. You were never out of the fight. You were created for a time such as this. And you are now preparing to be sent into battle. God is calling you to be his disciple, to be formed in virtue and holiness. He has appointed you as an ambassador of his kingdom. To go and represent him to his people. He's enlisted you as a soldier of Christ to be sent out to fight for the good in this world. You are not made to make excuses. It's time for you to take extreme ownership for your life, for all of your life. It's time to rise up and finally be the man or woman you were created to be. Follow God. lead others and never surrender. It is time to begin seeking excellence. Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is your man, Nathan Crankfield. It's great to be with you today. Thanks for tuning in. And today's episode, I'm really excited to just kind of talk with you guys, you know, I feel like it's been a long time since I've done a solo podcast. We've been working hard here at Seeking Excellence, trying to get much further ahead on the podcast, which has been pretty successful. But that means that I've been doing a lot of them, especially a lot with, uh, you know, guests and, and stuff like that. So it's been uh, fun working with a lot of great people. I'm so excited to share so many of the episodes with you guys. I wish I could just release them all right now, but it'd be very imprudent. And so uh, trying to get ahead on some podcasts, so I can have more time for writing in the here up in the upcoming month of June, got a lot of exciting travel and stuff going on. I got one of my best friend's wedding next month. I'm um, going to Mexico with my family, doing a lot of fun stuff. So uh, moving to Denver with my fiance. So really excited for that. And uh, just, yeah, so much fun stuff that's going down and get to see my family engagement party, all this stuff. So uh, trying to get ahead of a lot of these things and just want to encourage you guys, if you haven't yet, 
if you're obviously you listen to the podcast, um, I really want to encourage you. We just revamped our newsletter, our, our weekly newsletter that we send out. And we're trying to develop it more and more into more of an email program and not just like an update or advertisement of kind of like what we released that week, but actually putting content on there that will really help you to change your life, you know, because that's our whole hope and our vision here at Seeking Excellence is that we can be a place that is actually helping you to transform your life. We don't want to just have interesting conversations or just make you laugh every now and then when I'm being a clown or, you know, say some things that make you think that's important, but we ultimately want you to transform your life, right? Like we're trying to create a community here, a group of people, our listeners, our followers on social media, um, you know, our readers. We want people to be transformed. We want you to take this stuff, take the seven pillars of excellence and really start to apply it to your life. And so I highly encourage you to go over and do that. If you haven't yet, if you listen to the podcast regularly, regularly, that's my least favorite word to say. I don't know why it gets me every time. But if you listen to the podcast often, I highly encourage you, if you haven't yet, go over and leave us a review. Uh, you can just take two seconds, literally, and tap the five stars and leave us a review. Or you can um, actually write one out, which is preferred and really appreciated. And so, of course, and also, if you haven't followed us yet, follow us on social media at Seeking365. And... Uh, yeah, just know all of that's available to you. And we're going to revamp that. And one thing I'm really, really excited about is upcoming this August, we're going to have a, a relaunch um, of sorts, right? We're going to have our one year anniversary in August, August 20th. And we're super pumped for that. But that whole week, we're going to be having a giveaway. We're going to be announcing new and exciting things that we're going to be doing or having um, that week every day. And so we're super pumped just talking about it with the team last night and just have a lot of great ideas, a lot of things planned that I think you guys are going to love. And so really excited to share all that with you guys. But Again, going back to kind of the, we want you to transform your life. This Today, I just really kind of want to reflect on everything and, and just talk with you from the heart of, of just the importance of returning to the basics and really getting to know yourself, right? So in regards to the seven pillars, if you haven't heard them in a while, our seven pillars of excellence are mental, emotional, physical, financial, professional, social, and spiritual. Our philosophy and our mindset is that the spiritual is everything right? It's the beginning, the end, and everything in between. It's the most important. It's the most crucial, right? It's the most, it's eternal. And so that's, that's key. But what I've learned in my life is on this journey of trying to discover what does personal greatness look like? I've seen that so many different authors and podcasters and speakers and uh, religious gurus, right? And, and saints of the past, like so many people have ideas of what greatness is, what success is. And that was something that I was very passionate about as a teenager. I was trying to figure out like, what does success mean? What does it mean to be a successful man, a successful woman, a successful Catholic? And it can take a lot of different forms. At first, I kind of came into this, you know, mind, body, and soul approach to life. But then, you know, you start to realize there's a lot of other things in life. You start to have relationships and friendship drama. And you're like, this mind, body, and soul thing doesn't really capture some of what what we would call the emotional pillar, right? So then I started seeing people talk about mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual. But then, you know, that's all good and fine when you're in college, but then I graduated, you get a job. One, you start making money. Two, you start getting evaluation reports and stuff at your job. And I'm like, well, how do I succeed here? This is obviously important too. And the mental, emotional, physical, spiritual don't include some of these things. And then even further down the line, I'm seeing how many Catholics that I went to high school with or with college, went to college with that now have accepted some serious radical, uh, you know, social justice positions or political views that have really drawn them away from the Lord. And they really now live just secular uh, lives that they don't go to mass. They don't have a relationship with God. They don't do any of those things anymore. 
And so I was like, okay, that one's really important too. So we created these seven pillars to kind of be the seven things that I think you have to, you know, develop proficiency in. You have to have a baseline level of knowledge in. You have to strive to be intentional. You have to take ownership over these areas, right? You have to be a good steward because God entrusts things in each pillar to every single one of us, right? No matter what your vocation is, no matter really where you're at in life, even if you're in college, your job really is to be a student, um, you know, but we all have money to manage. We all have, you know, some more than others, for sure. We all have a job or, you know, daily duties that we're responsible for. We all have friendships, romantic relationships of some sort or friendships. We're all leaders in certain ways. And so we started talking about all these different things, right? And so that's kind of the basics and the fundamentals of what we're trying to talk about here. And I always, I always hit on like the big three that I say are like the three things that really made Nathan Crankfield, Nathan Crankfield that made me me and that I've seen be super successful in the lives of other people is developing consistent habits of reading, praying, and working out. And when you do those three things, it's amazing how much they can uplift all the other areas of your life, right? Because you read across all these different topics, all these different areas, right? All seven pillars. And so when I'm reading across all seven pillars, I'm growing in my understanding of relationships. I'm growing in my understanding of how to balance my finances, of how to succeed in interpersonal relationships at, in the workplace or um, conflict resolution, or I'm growing in my understanding of American history or, or some of these big social issues like abortion or same-sex marriage or some of these other things, right? So you can learn so much from reading and just having a posture of lifelong learning. And I would say listening to podcasts or watching good YouTube videos kind of falls like as a subcategory of reading. Obviously next to that, not even next to that, the number one most important one is developing a habit of prayer, right? Is developing a strong and solid prayer life that you're consistently praying, spending at least 10, 15 minutes with the Lord every day um, in prayer. Uh, one thing that I love, this is one of my favorite stories to tell, my old chaplain, my old army chaplain, uh, Thomas Gallagher, he used to tell this story to us when we were in Bible study in ROTC in college. And he would tell a story about the, the rector at Mount St. Mary's University. Um, hopefully I'm not giving him away, but he was a bigger, he was a bigger dude. You know, he didn't, he didn't miss a lot of desserts in the cafeteria. Right. And his doctor was telling him, Hey, father, you need to start working out. And so father's like, Roger that, like, I'll start working out for sure. And suddenly he shows up, you know, a month later for a check-in and he still weighs the same. And the doctor's like, father, have you been working out? He's like, I've been working out. He comes back a month later. He's the same way. He's like, father, have you been working out? He says, I've been working out. He comes back a month later. He says, father, have you been working out? Father's like, I'm telling you, I've been working out. And so he finally asked him, he says, when you're working out, describe what you mean to me. And he said, I do five push-ups and five sit-ups. And he's like, father, that is not working out. That's not exercise, right? And so in a similar way, you know, I have to make fun of uh, different people in my life, especially women in my life and, and say that they're doing mom workouts and stuff like that. Right. And I like to give people a hard time for working out, but I do often, we'll get into this more in the working out section, but I do often state that you don't have to be a meathead in order to do what I consider working out. Right. There's plenty of different forms of working out. However, we like to take that same approach to prayer and say, everybody tells you that they pray every day. It is really hard to find somebody that will tell you, no, I don't, I don't ever pray because everybody thinks, well, I pray before I eat or I pray before I go to bed, or I pray when I'm in a stressful situation, or I pray when I'm in the car. And those things are great. I'm not telling you not to do those things. But a lot of times we take the same kind of five push-ups, five sit-ups approach to our prayer life and think that we're exercising, 
we're doing what we, uh, what St. Ignatius would call spiritual exercises. And we're not, and we're fat, and we're out of shape. And we're wondering why. Because there's fruits of the Holy Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, um, and, and several more that I don't know off the top of my head right now. But um, when you think about that, those fruits of the Holy Spirit, they're, they're evident, right? Like Jesus tells us, we will know a tree by its fruit. The way we develop the fruit of the Holy Spirit is we take care of the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is our body, but also our minds and our souls, right? Through uh, prayer, through spending time with the Lord. And, and that has to look like what, what, you know, Chaplain Gallagher used to tell us is, and what many saints and priests and, and all types of people have told me throughout the years and books have told me, is you have to spend at least 10 minutes, ideally at least 15 minutes in mental prayer every day. 15 minutes with nothing going on. Maybe you read some scripture and meditate on it, but like not reading a book for 15 minutes, not listening to music for 15 minutes. Um, that, that could sometimes count, but having some dedicated time where you're literally just conversing with God, opening up to him, listening to what he has to say to you, you have to have that channel. I always, I often make the comparison of like, if you were engaged or you're in a relationship or you're married and if like, imagine Emily and I, if I only ever convert communicated with her via texting and maybe I called her right before I went to bed at night. Right. Like that, that is kind of, you know, and I'm kind of falling asleep and I'm dozing off and every night I fall asleep on the phone. Just like most people fall asleep praying when they wait to the last minute to do it each day. How would our relationship be? And then people go out and they want to have the fruits of the Holy Spirit. They want to have joy, love in their hearts, peace in their hearts. They want to be patient and kind. And they wonder why they're not. And it's like, you're not because you don't do the things necessary to do that, right? And so I was just thinking about this in prayer. Emily and I were just in adoration a bit ago. And I was just thinking about, you know, it's so easy in today's world because we like to take it easy on ourselves. And we like to give ourselves a lot of excuses to say that we're doing enough. Right. And constantly, I'm going to, I'm going to draw, keep drawing on this relationship analogy, but constantly through, I think, a lot, you know, I, I, I try to avoid blaming stuff on Protestants too often, but I do think that this is a heavily Protestant idea that has infiltrated into the Catholic church and seeped into our, our um, preaching and teaching and messages as well, is that you don't have to do anything for God. And I think there's a tough line here and there's a distinction that has to be made, right? Because obviously I agree that you don't need to do anything in order to earn God's love. That is critically important. It's important to share. It's important to know. It's important to accept because it is the truth. Similarly, Emily doesn't need to do anything today or tomorrow to earn my love, right? And when we're married, a healthy marriage, you don't have to do things to earn the love of your partner, right? That's an unhealthy marriage. You love the person, you will their good, right? You love them, you cherish them, you will their good. To love is the will the good of another. You will their good no matter what they do, right? Like that's what true love is. That's like true self-sacrificial love is I will your good even when you don't do the things that I want you to do, even when you don't act the way that I want you to act, even when you don't talk to me the way I want you to talk to me or whatever it might be. In a similar way though, <laughs> there's still things that I have to do to express my love for Emily or a husband for a wife and a wife for a husband. In a similar way, we also have to do things that express our love for God, right? Just because just because I know that Emily loves me and I can assume that doesn't mean I don't continue to pursue her in relationship. 
a husband and a wife is the same way, right? Like even just because Emily knows that I love her, you know, she doesn't, ha- she doesn't have to earn my love. That doesn't mean she never gets me a birthday gift. It doesn't mean that she never seeks to spend time with me. It doesn't mean she doesn't leave me love notes around. She does these things, right? We, we know each other's love languages. We seek to fulfill each other's love tanks. And I always say, you know, God's love tank is, is all of them, right? God's love language is all five, but God definitely, definitely loves him some quality time. And when you know that that's the other person's love language, right? When God is your beloved, just like your wife or your husband or your boyfriend, your girlfriend, whatever is your beloved, you, you, you pursue them and you trust that they will pursue you in return, right? And they will love you in return. So just because I know that I don't have to earn God's love does not mean I don't have anything to, that I don't need to respond to it, right? It doesn't mean I just take it for granted. And that's ultimately what we do when we say, I don't have to earn God's love. I don't have to earn God's love. I don't need to do anything. What I'm doing is enough. And it's like so many of us, what we're doing is not enough. What we're doing is not enough. And I was sitting in adoration today and I'm just being transparent with you guys. I was sitting in adoration today and I'm just like, I'm not doing enough. You know, and praise God. I'm like, and I'm like, I'm like, thank you, Lord, for this clarity to see that. Because I know so many people in my life who are Christian or quasi-Christian and they're living in all types of ways. And, and you just, some people will claim to be Christian and will live in sin and will just accept that, you know? And I'm like, man, I'm so fallen. I'm so broken. I've done some horrible things in my life. I still fall. I still sin on a regular basis. And I'm just like, Lord, just thank you for at least opening my eyes for me to see that what I'm doing is wrong and to not be okay when I, when I feel like I've done something wrong. That was a huge point in my journey, especially my journey with chastity of like constantly falling, cheating on people, you know, falling uh, with myself, whatever it was, like just all types of sin, right? And one of the things that really got me, eventually I got to the point where I was like, you know what, Lord, I don't want to pretend like this is okay anymore. I've been convicted, convicted of the fact that this is not okay. And that's something that I think is really hard for people to understand and people to grasp. And people to get to because it does take a certain level of maturity. And I'm not trying to toot my own horn here, but I think it's important for people to recognize that it's just immature to act like what you're doing is okay when it's not, right? Like that's literally quite literally what children do. And as children get older, you hope that with good parents, they will be formed to know at least when they cheat on a test and get caught or they get caught doing drugs like I did when I was 15 or they get caught, you know, whatever it is doing stuff they're not supposed to do, they have a formed conscience and they can say, no, you know what? This is wrong. The worst types of kids are the one who cuss out their teacher and think they did nothing wrong. And then we know the worst types of parents are the ones who also allow them to go along with it. The worst types of siblings, older siblings and mentors are the ones who just encourage you and enable you to continue to do wrong. So thinking about this, we in our immature ways, and I've done this, I've been super guilty of this in my own life, we in our immature ways, our immature ways of thinking can very easily say, no, I'm just mad at this person who's judging me. This person who's sharing the truth with me, that's sharing church teaching, that's challenging me on the way that I'm living my life. I'm just, I'm mad at them because I'm convicted by it, right? Like to be, when people say they're convicted by something, that's literally like, you know, a a criminal being charged with a crime. Like you're convicted. Like I did this. I'm guilty of that thing that you're talking about. And it's not pleasant. It's not pleasant to be convicted of a crime. It's not pleasant to be convicted of a sin. But those of us who have experienced some type of liberation, even though we might not be fully liberated from sin yet, but we're working out our salvation with fear and trembling, right? With joy with the Lord. 
we know that it's worth it. We know that it's worth it to just do, just stop acting like what you're doing is okay because it's not, it's going to hurt you. And it's such an interesting experience to play that role in people's lives because I constantly have, you know, people in my life and I have throughout my life and, and, you know, as I write and I continue to speak and, and our audience grows, you, you just constantly have to think about, you know, when I share certain things, if, if I were, if I were to try to avoid offending anybody that I know and love and everything that I share, I wouldn't speak. I'd have to be so watered down and so, so, um, you know, weak in my message that I couldn't never share the truth. And so you have to make a decision. I feel like at some point as an evangelist of like, I'm going to offend some people. And it's not a desire that I have. It doesn't make me happy to do it. It doesn't make me, I'm not eager to hurt people's feelings or to make them uncomfortable or to, you know, call out the things that I think are wrong that I know the people who are hearing it are upset. They're very aware that I've committed a lot of these same sins. I've made a lot of these same mistakes. And I'm not even talking 10, 15 years ago. I'm talking in the last few years. They're aware that I've fallen or I've made bad decisions or I've made mistakes. And it, it's, it's tough to do that. It's tough to play that role. It's tough to be that person. But again, when you know the liberation, when you believe in the gospel, when you believe what Jesus says, when you're convicted of the truth, when you say, Lord, I believe in the gospel, I believe what you told me, I believe in heaven and hell, I believe that heaven is possible for me and for, for all of these other people, if only we're willing to turn away and reject sin and cling on to you and recognize that clinging on to Jesus does not mean while he says, come as you are, he doesn't say stay as you are. Jesus calls us as we are and he welcomes us into the fold, right? Even when we're not ready, even when we're not qualified, even when we're not perfect. But he also tells us to be perfect as our heavenly father is perfect. He also takes us, turns us away from our former life, turns us away from ourself and our self-focused and our self-loathing and our hatred for ourselves and the sin that we're living in and our pride. And he turns to us and says, look at your heavenly father. Look how perfect he is. Be like him. Knowing that we can't do it, he still challenges us to be perfect like our heavenly father is perfect. And that's incredibly important. And we can never forget that. We can never forget that God is calling us to be perfect and he's calling us to be saints. He's calling us to be holy here on earth. You know, one of my favorite, favorite, favorite passages to pray with, I pray with it almost every day, but very, very regularly. <laughs> There's that word again, is Matthew 5, when Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Jesus says to the disciples and to all who are gathered, the crowds who are gathered at the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but rather on a stand so that it can give light to all in the house. In a similar way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is what we're called to do. And when you recognize these things, and this is, I've been getting so hyped on the seven pillars lately. I'm so in love with our message and our philosophy and, and just what we have to share with the world and the mission that God's entrusted to us and my team here at Seeking Excellence. But when you think about this, what does it mean to be the light of the world, right? We'll just look out into the world. Why am I so passionate about these messages? Why am I so passionate about the seven pillars? Well, because I love the United States of America. I love the church. I love each and every human being that lives in this country. Even those who vehemently disagree with me. And I also know the stats of, of each of those people and the average American, right? And when I think about this a lot, and I want to do a whole podcast on this and get a lot of statistics and things like that and do some research first, but I've been thinking a lot recently about like 
what does the life of anti-excellence look like? And it's the average American. Overweight, some type of, of mental health issues, challenges, anxiety, depression, things like that. That's, you know, I understand that they're natural and, and there's certain aspects of those things that are uncontrollable, but a lot of it is controllable, I think, um, in ways that we don't acknowledge and we don't practice and we don't recognize because it's just constantly on the rise. And I don't think that that's just naturally happening. So overweight, depressed, anxious about things in their life, constantly worried and fearful, um, doesn't go to church, no relationship with God or little relationship with God, even if they even confess to any type of religion, religious affiliation, divorced, half of, half of Americans are getting divorced. Um, most people are disengaged in their job. They're unfulfilled in their job. They don't like where they work. Financial ruin. The average American has tens of thousands of dollars of debt. Um, and then social issues. We have all types of crazy social beliefs that um, are, you know, dangerous to somebody's soul. It's dangerous to their families, dangerous to their kids. So that's the average life. So when they say be the light in the world, there's a lot of darkness out there. There's a lot of people who are unhappy. They're struggling. They're the opposite of the fruits of the Holy Spirit, right? Instead of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, they're living lives of, of hate and outrage. They're living lives of, of just turbulence in their heart and their mind and in their soul, right? They're not joyful. They're miserable and depressed and sad and unfulfilled and unhappy. So when you think about that, that's we're called to be the light of the world. That is a big deal, especially when you go out and you just see the crowds, right? I remember Matthew 9, I love, I say that all the time. Jesus went out and he saw the crowds and he, he had compassion for them, for they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so he said to the apostles, pray to the Lord of the harvest. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray then to the Lord of the harvest that he will send out laborers into the harvest. My friends, we are the laborers into the harvest. This bystander effect of looking around and expecting somebody else to do the work can no longer be a part of the church. We need people who are willing to get in the game. We need people who are willing to go out and do the work. And you do the work, as I always say, you know, one of my repetitive messages again, is that we're always called to personal holiness and to make disciples of all nations. Those are the two things that are constantly with us and constantly before us. So do the work. What does that mean? That means do the work internally. And do the work externally, right? So do the work on yourself and within yourself, within these seven pillars, right? Of stewardship, intentionality, extreme ownership, of getting after it, right? Taking care of your finances, getting on a budget, exercising four times a week on a regular basis, praying for at least 15 minutes a day, being a lifelong learner, watching good YouTube videos, not just binge watching Netflix, but watching documentaries and, and things that will help you actually learn and grow, reading books getting after it in your job, finding what you're passionate about, seeing where God is calling you. What did he create you to do? You have a purpose on this world, on this planet. You have a purpose. You're not just supposed to work some dead-end job that doesn't mean anything to you. And it's not anybody else's responsibility to give you a job that will be fulfilling. You have to go out and seek it. Sometimes you have to create it. But you have to be somebody that's going to be worthy of that position, right? And so think about these things. We're, we're, we don't want to live these lives of anti-excellence that are just miserable and lonely and awful and unhappy and unfulfilled and purposeless, right? And full of despair. So you're called to be the light of the world. The way that you brighten your light is in prayer and committing to a life of holiness. I'm telling you that you cannot, you cannot continue on in a life of sin and develop a strong prayer life. It's not possible. That's why so many people who do that, so many people who 
you know, are still kind of like living a, a Christian life, quote unquote, but are living deep in some type of sin. And there's tons of sin. I talk about them all the time. So I don't need to single out any types of sin today. But people who are living in deep, deep sin, they often want to just uh, either they try to just go to mass and that's it. Or maybe they go to daily mass or maybe they pray the rosary. But I'm telling you, you can't have mental prayer. You can't sit in front of the in, in, in adoration with nothing for 30 minutes. At least once a week, Father Meyer would say, do a holy hour at least once a week, a full hour in front of adoration and at least 10, 15 minutes of mental prayer a day. You can't do that and continue in a life of sin. You know, I often say like daily mass, I'm not knocking daily mass. I think you should easily go to at least one daily mass a week, right? That's where I'm at with my boot and everything like that. But my ideal is like three times a week. Emily likes to go every day. I'm, I'm at least once a week right now is, is, is where I'm at um, because of my, my injury. And I don't even always hit that. And so I'm, I'm definitely not trying to preach to you like I'm perfect, but these are the ideals that we're shooting for, right? So what do we know that what spiritual excellence looks like? When I say that I'm not doing enough, it's, oh, I didn't prioritize daily mass this week. I didn't prioritize my prayer every day. I only prayed five days instead of seven. And it's okay to be challenging and push myself in that, right? It's okay to think like that. But you can't sit in adoration and prayer and continue living a life of sin. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. So I, I used to say in college, you know, that people can hide behind daily mass and the rosary. Those are great things. They're beautiful things. I, I, my ideal for myself is to pray the rosary every day too, and I'm horrible at it. That's another one I try to do at least once a week, but I'm horrible at trying to do it every day. My consistency in anything other than mental prayer is horrific. And in mental prayer, I, I like to mix it up. So I'm just not very consistent. I think consistency on strength finders is like my 32nd strength. And so I like to mix it up. And so I, I'm glad that I at least pray most, most days, right? I don't even hit that every day, but I try to pray every day and then add in these other things um, on a somewhat regular basis, but I'm just not the type that can I know that if I went to daily mass every day, I wouldn't pray every day. And I know that my prayer time is in some ways more important than, than going to daily mass. But the reason why I think that's so important is that you can't, I, this is what got me right. When I was super convicted, when I was living a life, a very unchaste life, right. Of lust and, you know, sexual sins and things like that. What got me was I developed a prayer life. This is why I always encourage people. I'm like, you always start with the positives. Right. So even if, if your life is all jacked up, what I want you to do is I want you to go to confession. I want you to start praying and you need to start going to mass on Sunday. That's it. Do that. And God will change your life. But much like St. Augustine, a lot of times we avoid that because we know that that's going to happen. We know that eventually you're going to come to a, a fork in the road and you're going to have to choose. But my friends, what I'm trying to tell you is that when you make that choice, it's not just about choosing between God and sin right now. We make that choice every day and we make that choice for eternity now. That's the importance of this message is when we're pursuing excellence, it's not just about right now, it's about eternity. So we're making that decision for eternity. But, you know, if you read great books like The Great Divorce um, by C.S. Lewis or Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis, I think he describes the way, the pathway to hell so beautifully, if you can even say that, but so clearly, I should say, so effectively. And that he says, God doesn't send men to hell. Men choose hell for themselves, right? So a lot of times people will say this, how can an all loving, all merciful God send people to hell? He doesn't. He just lets you choose what you want. And this is what people are missing all the time is that heaven is being in God's presence all the time. It's literally worshiping God for all of eternity, being in fullness and closeness with him 
in full communion with him in the church and the body of Christ. Hell is the exact opposite of that. Hell is being completely severed and cut off from God for eternity. And we choose that. And I always tell people this. And The Great Divorce is such a great book. I mean, this is one of my like must reads. So if you have not read The Great Divorce, please go order it right now on Amazon. His books are super cheap too, usually. C.S. Lewis, The Great Divorce. What The Great Divorce does so well is it shows you that with all these different examples of people who are attached to sexual sin or to pride or to even other people, even people who worship other people, mothers and sons, husbands and wives, celebrities, all these things, right? That literally worship other people and not even realizing it. Not like they have idols of them in their home, but like literally they're just so attached to them that they prioritize human relationships over the relationship with God. What it shows you is that those people in your, in your last choice, even if you get the decision to make, if you get to make the judgment, you choose yourself or you choose the other person. You literally choose hell over eternity with God because it's what you've conditioned yourself your entire life to do. If we do that, if you can't get out of, mat, out of bed on Sunday to go to mass, why would you, if you can't choose God now, why would you choose him then? It doesn't make any sense. It's very basic, right? Like it's not, this isn't complex, deep stuff. On the other hand too, with that is if heaven is just worshiping God for all eternity, if you don't enjoy worshiping God, right? If, if adoration is miserable to you, if mass is miserable to you, if uh, prayer is miserable to you, if reading scripture or gospel is miserable to you, if you don't care what Jesus has to say now, why would you want to be with him forever anyways? What is heaven to the unbeliever? What is heaven to somebody who rejects Jesus? Why would you want to be with him? You rejected him your whole life. And, and you know, going back to the fork of the decision of, of if you have a, a deep prayer life and you have a, a life of sin, that both of those can't coexist for a long period of time. The thing about it, guys, is that if you don't decide, that's making a decision. Let me explain that. If you don't decide, that's making a decision. At some point, your lack of decision is a decision. Do you see what I'm saying? Think about it kind of like financially investing, right? Like if you're constantly thinking about, should I invest or not invest? Should I invest or not invest? Like eventually, if you don't decide, you haven't invested. Like you got no money in the bank, right? Like you've got no compound interest on your money. The same thing goes for your faith. It goes for a lot of things, right? Like eventually, if, if, I, if I decided before I, you know, got engaged to, to Emily, if I'm like, should I marry her or not? Should I propose or not? Eventually, if you don't decide, that is a decision. Now, not enough women put a timeline on that decision and, and will date a guy for 10 years at the age of 35. And I don't understand that at all. But, uh, you know, we think about these things. God's like, you have, you have, you have this thing. And we have this presumption, right, with our pride and our arrogance that we think we're going to live forever. And we think we're going to have all of this time to make a decision and decide. And it's like, dude, you could die tonight. Memento mori, remember death. I wrote one of my favorite blogs is, is entitled that on the website. I encourage you to go read it. Those who seek.org, go check out that blog. Memento mori is one way back. Remember death because you could die and eternity is real and this stuff matters. And you can literally transform your life with 15 minutes of daily prayer. And we have great tools today, things like Hallow, the Catholic prayer app, the number one Catholic prayer app. I encourage you to go, you can go to the link in my Instagram bio. I can put the link in the show notes for this on Seeking Excellence Instagram bio. You can get a three month free trial with Hallow and, and literally just do it every day. Just commit to it every day. They can send you notifications. You can track your progress. 
of all different types of prayer, reading scripture, the rosary, um, just holy hours, music to play in the background. And you don't have to jump into an hour of nothing, just dry prayer, you before the blessed sacrament. I don't encourage that. Like anything you're going to do, you're going to be most successful if you have friends who are doing it too, if you have a coach, and if you have some type of accountability. And you have to start small and build your way up. Matthew Kelly talks to us about, about this all the time, Four Signs of a Dynamic Catholic all the time in different books that he's written. And that he's like, just pray for two minutes a day. Pray for one minute a day. What can you do? Sit down today and pray with the Lord. Time yourself. How long can you pray before you're like, I got nothing else. I don't know what else to talk about. Dynamic Catholic also has a great thing. You can just Google it and find it online for free. The prayer process, dynamic Catholic prayer process. Google that. It's like seven steps. Walks you through gratitude, repenting for the day, examining your day, praying for other people, praying to our father. And I think that if you do that and you spend a minute on each one, that's seven minutes of prayer right there. And seven minutes of God, it gives you a process for mental prayer. There's so many tools today. We have no excuse for not doing this. And I'm talking to myself as much as I'm talking to any of you. Cause I still miss days in my prayer life and I don't understand why. And it's incredible how much more likely I am to fall into any type of sin, whether that's, uh, you know, anything from lust to judgment, to pride, to anger when I don't pray. You know, I, one of my favorite quotes from Matthew Kelly is he says, if you, the number one most telling question of how somebody's spiritual life is, is to ask them, how is your prayer life? That'll tell me what your spiritual life is like. If I said, how is your prayer life? What do your spiritual exercises look like? Right? This is what it means, right? So like if you said that you were an athlete, right? Somebody came to you, if you were a high school basketball player and you met somebody in the NBA, you want to be like, what's your workout regimen like? Like you're in the NBA, you obviously have a workout regimen. Somebody should be able to ask you that. If you say you're a Christian or you say you're a Catholic, somebody should be able to ask you, what's your spiritual exercises like? What's that look like? How has Jesus transformed your life? How does your life look different? How do you prioritize your time around time with the Lord? It's not always big. It's not always glamorous, right? So Emily and I were just getting ready. It's graduation weekend here at BC. And uh, we were leaving one of the graduation things. We had like an hour. And it was, I, I mean, I, I was just barely able to fit this podcast in, but I'm like, I'm like, Em, do you want to run to, to uh, adoration right now? We had plans, a ton of stuff to do. Our, our to-do list is a mile long. I'm like, Em, do you want to run to, grad, uh, to adoration? Because I'm like, if we don't go right now, I'm just not going to pray today. I know it. And so sometimes you have the impulse, right? What impulse going to get ice cream? What impulse going out to the bar? What impulse a phone call with our mom? But when you're driving past the church on the way home, do you ever stop in just to pop in? When you get up in the morning or you have some extra time, you have 10 or 15 minutes, do you ever just sit down with your Bible and just read a little bit? Just reflect and pray? You might not have time for a rosary, but you might have time for a Divine Mercy Chaplet. Right? Like, think about these things, guys. Think about, am I ever making that time for the Lord? Am I prioritizing that? The most important question you can ask yourself, how is your prayer life? And don't give me that BS, five push-ups, five sit-ups. I pray before I go to bed or I pray, you know, just barely in the morning or I pray while I'm brushing my teeth or I pray while I'm in the car. That's all great. But I'm telling you, that's the texting version of your relationship with God. You have to have not even some FaceTime, not even some Zoom, but like some face-to-face, deep conversation, quality time. That's what God asks of us. He wants to have that quality time with us. Think about the five love languages, physical touch, receiving communion, quality time, spending that quality and time with prayer, acts of service as you go out and you love other people, 
gifts as you tithe and give your money to the church and to, to serving the poor and helping with the mission of develop, uh, making disciples of all nations, right? Words of affirmation. God asked that we praise and worship him, right? We sing the glory at mass on Sundays and in our prayer, we're called to do that as well, to give gratitude and thanks to the Lord. God has all five love languages. And it's time that we start to love him in those love languages. So lastly, in this return to the basics, this really just became a talk about prayer. But in return to the basics, guys, exercise. So I talked about becoming a lifelong learner, uh, reading, podcasts, all of those things. We just talked about the importance of prayer. Now I want to talk to you about the importance of exercise. It's very briefly. Guys, the, the mental toughness that you can grow, the way that it helps your mental health, the way that it'll help your relationships, the way that it helps your physical health, which in turn helps all of those other things, right? And your spiritual health is so important. Pushing yourself, growing in that discipline, getting to know yourself through the challenges. You can literally create adversity for yourself every day in the gym, right? Resistance training, pushing yourself and growing, setting goals and achieving them. It is literally the training ground for all the other areas. Because as I said in, in other recent podcasts or future podcasts, I never remember which one's coming out when, but I'm going to talk a lot in the coming future about Discipline in one area leads to discipline in all areas, right? A rising tide raises all ships. That's how discipline works in your life. So the same, it takes discipline to pray every day. It takes discipline to read every day. It takes discipline to listen to good podcasts instead of listening to ratchet rap music or ratchet rock music or whatever kind of ratchet music you listen to, right? Or even just sometimes it's good music, but it still is not as, as helpful as you learning. It doesn't mean you have to do it all the time. You have to do it sometimes. Discipline, it takes discipline to stick to your budget and to create a budget and to invest and to tithe, right? It takes discipline even to pay your taxes because I hate paying taxes. It takes discipline to learn about these important social issues and not just say, oh, politics is confusing. I don't get into those things. It takes discipline to show up to work on time and to work hard. All of these things it takes discipline to have a good relationship, right? To be chased in a relationship, it takes discipline to be chased, you know, with other people when you're in a relationship, emotionally chaste, takes discipline to, to be patient and kind and forgiving to your, your spouse or significant other, takes discipline to be a good friend. All the pillars require discipline, intentionality, and extreme ownership. And so we have to start going in these things and be intentional in the way that we do that. And so I want to encourage you guys, get back to the basics, do these things. And we're here to encourage you and to inspire you to do these things. I want to be practical and real and transparent. That's what I pride myself on as a podcaster, as a leader of this organization. And so once again, I want to encourage you, go, please go to thosewhoseek.org right now. Do it right now and sign up for our newsletter. Lucas Walschlager is leading that. I write a blurb for it now every week. And we just want to encourage you to just be as strong and as, for, as firm and as you know strengthened in this. And that's what it means to be on the team. We want you to be a part of Seeking Access. I want you to join us. We want you to sign up. I want you to commit to this lifestyle. I want you to subscribe to the podcast. I want you to follow us on social media. I want you to read our blog. I want you to read our email and send it to other people. Promote this. I want you to become an evangelist for excellence. We're not getting anything out of this. There's not, you know, there's no monetary gain of it, you know, right now. So like, there's nothing that I'm trying to promote in that way. And I'm not just trying to self-promote, but if you find this valuable, if you think, wow, that is a great way to live your life. That's a great way to approach your life with discipline, intentionality, and extreme ownership so that we can live a life of excellence and virtue and holiness and be modern day saints and people that will be lights in the world that will draw people to Christ that will help save souls. Then I want you to share that with other people. 
If you think this dumb, this hasn't helped you, then don't do it. I'm never, I don't ask friends and family to do me favors and just share it for the sake of just knowing me. If you think it's valuable, share it. If you don't, then don't. If you think it's valuable, live your life this way. If you don't, then don't, but get off the fence. Stop standing in the fork in the road. You need to make a decision. Pick which way you're going to go. Commit to the life that you want to live. Commit to the person who you want to be. Commit to the person who God created you to be. Start to pursue that. It's hard. It's long. It's treacherous. It's dangerous. It's deadly. This path through the narrow gate. But you can do it. You can reach your goals. You can reach your dreams. You can reach heaven. By the grace of God, we can do this. And it's never going to be easy. God never said it was going to be easy. You know what he said? He said, follow me. And then he went to Calvary. He took his cross. He picked it up and he challenged us. He tells us, instructs us, pick up your cross each and every day and follow me. And it's time that we do that. It's time to fight hard, brothers and sisters. It's time to get out there and get after it. So I hope that you take this to heart. I hope that if you're not praying consistently, you start to do it. I hope if you're not reading consistently, you start to do it. I hope if you're not working out consistently, you start to do it. Start to recognize some of your potential. You can do this. I believe in you. I have faith in you. And I'm praying for you. Be your best and fight hard.